0: I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Queens of Tech podcast. A podcast series about raising the voice of workplace champions. 60 plus questions in around 30 minutes with women, non-binary, and transgender influencers about their journey into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I started the Queens of Tech podcast initiative in May 2022, because I would like to retain more women, non-binary and transgenders in the tech industry. Talent is out there, but our work environment needs to improve for all to feel safer, stay authentic, and to be valued for our contributions. My vision is to raise the workplace ecosystem for all in the tech industry by killing the imposter syndrome, stopping bad behavior and increasing equity opportunities. Each podcast talk is built around 60 plus questions regarding upbringing, education, career path, DEIB, and future advice. My mission is to bridge the gap between schools and workplaces by getting to the heart of my guests' personal life and career journey to inspire other girls, women, non-binary, and transgenders to unleash their full potential to reach top leadership roles in the tech industry. My goal is to raise the voice of tech champions around the world and together with companies, investors, and politicians, raise the challenges and opportunities around equity, inclusive diversity, and belonging in our workplaces. Enough is enough. I would like to enforce companies to build a sustainable, inclusive culture, to retain diverse talent, so we keep the workplace power equity to continue building future diverse and inclusive products. Your Voice Matters. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Tequin Mari Lukanem, principal at Icebreak VC. Hi, Mari. Hey, good to be here. Well, I'm very happy to have you joining us from uh, Finland today. How are you?
1: I'm very, very good.
0: Now, let us dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you're ready for the quiz of tech 60 plus questions. I'm nice. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags?
1: I'm very curious. Uh, That's pretty much why I'm here in in this position. Uh, Probably also very stubborn in a way, but also very open-minded.
0: How would you describe your life in three sentences?
1: millennial dream and dog mom who is spoiling the puppy totally and um, soon to be a super super good napoleon style pizza chef
0: what kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most i mainly
1: listen to metal what is your personal motto i'm gonna borrow nike and i say just do it what is your favorite book I have it next to me. Uh, it's called Mom Test, and every startup should read it so they know how to uh, basically iterate their product to aim to product market fit. What is your favorite podcast? People expect me to answer something related to startups and marketing, I guess, but I mainly actually listen to true crime when I try to fall asleep. Yali Lap, <laughs> it's a Finnish true crime podcast. Mac or PC? Mac, definitely.
0: Say something interesting about you that most people don't know.
1: I guess most people don't know that I've been playing role-playing games over almost 30 years, actually, and I still play them quite often, mainly cyberpunk nowadays.
0: What is your hidden talent?
1: My hidden talent is related to role-playing because when I was at school, I used to draw my characters quite a lot. I'm very good in drawing.
0: If you were going to write a book about your life, what would the title be?
1: Well, I just did. It called Growth, I Can Die. So basically, it's a book that you need to implement this mindset of continuous uh, systematic growth in your uh, company or that you just stay where you are and eventually die. Good start, Mari. Now, let us dig deeper. Our
0: childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others and the world. Now, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in a very small factory town in Middle Finland. 14,000 people are living there.
0: What was your dream job as a child?
1: As a child, I actually wanted to be architect. So I wanted to build things. I like building startups. I like building growth machines. I like building things. So for me, it's, uh, it's a little bit like living my childhood dream in a way. What was your favorite subject in school? Definitely computers. What was your least favorite subject? We had the hand topics like divided to like wood and then the sewing. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the internet? I was so young, so I still believe in the Santa Claus, so I asked Santa Claus to bring me a Nintendo. But uh, my parents decided to buy me the Commodore Amiga instead, uh, which was excellent decision because I found that with these machines, you can do a lot of more than just playing games. Uh, so I got into computers through that, but it was still like several years before we had internet available. I started building websites like offline with my first PC. You needed to use diskettes to get the websites around because internet was so expensive. So we didn't have that at home. But I transferred those like uh, diskettes to my mom's job and then uploaded the websites uh, to internet to find out if they even work. So it was super manual. <laughs> Which were the three first technology
0: gadgets you owned?
1: I guess the Commodore Omega was one of the first ones, but also like I started to repair our videocassette players when I was super, super young because it was very old uh, machine and constantly broken. So I actually started to repair that as well. And uh, I got this like uh, technical Legos. So I built like art Lego things. Who was your female role model growing up and why? When I was very young, there wasn't really strong female role models like that was the thing in 90s. But I can name two. First of all, uh, Agent Dana Scully from X-Files. And then another one would be uh, Warrior Princess Xena.
0: How do you think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you come from influence your education and career choice?
1: To be completely honest, it tried to counter influence it because, uh, at that time it was very kind of like, um, girls were pushed very powerfully, for instance, like to sewing classes instead of like technical jobs, right? So basically everything around me, except my parents in certain choices, like for instance, buying that Amiga, like a computer for me, like tried to counter influence me to do something else that'd be interested in computers, but I was so stubborn. I just couldn't get interested about anything else. Sometimes felt that the whole community where I was from was like against of me being interested about it. But it was my counter reaction to go full on to technology. Like, okay, I'm going to represent like complete opposite. What is the norm here?
0: Very interesting, Murray. Now I'm going to read two quotes. First one, how does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16? I can't even choose what I want for dinner. Second, Abraham Lincoln said, I quote, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So Mari, I want to know the choices behind your career path. Where and what did
1: you study at university? I didn't study anything at university. I have taken a couple of like classes in open university because I was so strongly like communicated by the community where I'm from, that there is no such thing as jobs in computers or tech for women especially. So I tried to kind of like push myself to be interested in psychology. So I studied a little bit that in Open University. If I think about my whole career, suddenly like everything makes sense, right? Even the like studying psychology, because uh, I've been in many, many times in a situation where I feel that I'm completely like hitting my head on the wall and it doesn't make any I'm wasting time to this like open university studies. I'm wasting time trying to get my entrepreneurship work, and it just doesn't. And everyone is just like scamming me and everything. So I've been in very, very like a mentally dark and frustrated place like many times and and kind of like being like angry for everyone and myself as well that why did I born to this place like I could be anything if I was in Silicon Valley or something like that. But then you don't really have to, in my opinion, like feel too pressured about it because it can happen that at some point in your life, everything just makes sense. Like that has been happening to me right now that the psychology studies that I never thought are useful for me intake like ever are now the most useful thing that I have when I'm a VC because I'm basically implementing the theoretic psychotherapy models to my like founder sparring sessions for instance and everything like failing so many times uh, as an entrepreneur when I was younger now they are very valuable lessons I can help kind of like relate to the founders like early steps because I have taken those same steps myself even I failed for years before getting my career even started. So for me, it has always been very clear that I just want to do something with computers, but it took 20 years for me to find this extremely optimal place as an early stage tech VC. So what I would give as an advice to both of those schools, first of all, yes, I totally like um, recommend to like take control of your own life. Like no one is giving you anything. Like you need to find those opportunities yourself and work for it. And be very proactive yourself looking for it and go to like outside from your comfort zone and everything but at the same time like don't feel pressured because everything can make sense like at some point of your life and you don't even know about it and if you give up too early you never even find out if it makes sense because that's very valuable lesson that I have gotten because I've been like mentally like hitting myself why why did I born here as a female to this super small town I could be anything. I could be the founder of next Facebook or whatever. But then all those like uh, frustrating experiences, I've been able to put the use. What does
0: Icebreaker VC do?
1: We invest in early stage tech companies and uh, our thesis is that we specifically invest in uh, domain expert founders. So someone who has been working in a certain field for some time and identified some kind of problem that now they want to solve by founding a startup. So very early stage, already at idea stage.
0: What is your title and what is your main responsibilities?
1: currently my title is principal and um, main responsibilities uh, at early stage fun everyone is doing everything basically it's, it's a little bit like a startup but as an investor but uh, mainly the investing nowadays but obviously like after you make the investment then it's the coaching the portfolio company so what I like in practice do is that I, I source the new companies so go to podcasts like this be available be visible that there is this kind of opportunity available and Go to different accelerators and be visible in in the early stage startup bubble, basically, and then those cases internally to our team. So basically, I need to sell the companies internally to other people. And then when we make the decision of investing, then I do all the paperwork with lawyers, uh, work with our finance person to buy the money. And uh, then I start working with the company in the mutually agreed things we are focusing on, then help them in fundraising the next stage round. How did you get the job? I applied to it, but this is great question because I never thought that there is like a rule for me in, in VC because I have never studied finance or anything in the university, but I knew icebreaker already from our pre founder program. So we arranged this program where pre founders, so people that they are planning to become a founders can either at their idea and form themes. So I attended this program like already years before I applied to the job. So I kind of like had the idea that this is the fund that this doing things a little bit differently. And then I was uh, leaving my operational role from uh, Fresco. So home cleaning staff I was at previously. And at Fresco, we got the mandate to build this like very cross-functional growth team, which is one reason why my thing there was so successful. Uh, we got the idea from our early stage investors. So I figured out that, okay, I could make this impact happen in early stage companies if I join early stage investment firm, but I joined the investment team at uh, a year ago. And that was also funny because I didn't really, really think about that. Okay, yeah, I'm at VC, but I developed the portfolio companies so and that's it. But then our extremely supportive partners asked me that, hey, have you thought joining an investment team? And, oh, okay, it could be something new to learn. So why not then? Here I am investing.
0: I love the quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. So Mari, what do you love about your role?
1: Almost everything, like it's actually a very optimal role for me because I can work forever at early stage because that's the stage in in startups that I love the most. Like I get bored when the company is past a series A, so I can stay at the stage that I love. It's very motivating to work with early stage founders because they are so ambitious and have the big visions. There isn't much that I seriously don't just love in this current role, maybe some parts of the, of the reporting. And I also very bad in, in focusing only one thing at once. So I can work with multiple companies in multiple industries, which is extremely optimal also. So it, there is a lot of things that really finally fall into place for what I want to do and how I want to do it.
0: What is the best experience you've had so far? Any
1: examples? So it's one of our recent investments. I met this founder last autumn uh, when I arranged an work during a Metaverse uh, event in Helsinki and founder pitched me her idea and the idea was quite lame, but I advised her to like, okay, uh, it's a little bit like influencer related. So I asked him like, contact a couple of influencers and, and ask their opinion. And then a couple of weeks later, she comes back. Okay, I found a couple of influencers and now I have this like one of the most followed YouTuber in, in certain genre, in. Finland, and he's joining team. I'm like, okay, nice delivery, because this is also something that doesn't happen too often. That as a VC, I give this like mini tasks to test a little bit, like how the founders deliver things, like how do they work with things. Because some founders like um, don't really find a way to make the ultimate decision. They ultimately need to lead their own company. They make a list of influencers and and then ask me like which one to pick to get money from you. This founder showed also the leadership of making the decision which was amazing decision and she built amazing team it's very powerful to follow that founder's journey female founder so it's extra amazing it really gives me a lot of energy
0: and what is the biggest challenge you've encountered so far and how did you tackle that
1: Probably my idea is like how I learn to coach founders in the right way, because I'm a person who gets frustrated very easily and knows how to do a lot of things. So I have the habit of, okay, this is taking too long, so I will do it for you, right? So this kind of attitude doesn't really work with the founders if you do everything for their company, for them. So I had been already as a VC for two years before we had a discussion that you just need to let that go. If you want to be really, really good at this, and and then I felt like absolutely horrible, like nothing is gonna happen if I don't do these things, like for for these people. But I mentally gave myself three months to try it out. Like if it feels bad and and nothing happens after three months, then probably this is not the job for me. And it felt completely like super bad at the very beginning. It felt like nothing is happening, but. When I just continued this weeklies and bi-weeklies with the founders, it really started working. But it took like two months before they actually started to do things and and take the steps that I wanted them to take. But when I got that like mental blocker or when I was able to break that, and it was very hard for me, then it started working very, very nicely. Now it feels like too easy sometimes.
0: What do you wish everybody understood about your role?
1: What mainly... Startups don't really understand, like in general, from the VC side, that this is something that I would hope that I would know when I was uh, myself still in startups. Is that first of all, VCs don't really understand many of the businesses. So you really, really need to explain it, like almost like for a child or your moms <laughs> sometimes. Like that's why the Mom is amazing book because it helps you to explain complex things from the perspective of value and in simplified form. Because you need that for me to understand what you're trying to even do. And another thing is that we are checking so many cases, like hundreds of cases every single week. So, if you are as a startup, like approaching an investor that, Hey, I'm working with very interesting startup. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but let's have a coffee. It's not going to happen. I don't have time to even answer that message because the, the mindset is so wrong in a way. But if you are able to explain your complex thing from the perspective of value in a way that it's super easy to understand, then you communicate that very efficiently instead of asking to have 10 minutes phone calls or coffees or whatever, that is really helping you to open up the discussions. And 99 out of 100 startups don't really understand this. What is the one common myth about your professional field that you want to disapprove? That you need to be very good with finances and numbers and have university studies and have this and that. Like not really. If you know how to find startups that could become big thing and if you know how to help those startups to do that so basically develop these companies you would be excellent easy already you don't have to have any certain studies necessarily if you go to startup succeed to build it you would be very valuable already then you can learn the other part which i learned but if you have any understanding how to develop a great company what do you love about working in the tech industry Pretty much everything. Numbers focus, efficiency focus. I like to minimize the time and make the maximum effort. And uh, flexibility, remote working, not having to wake up early morning. I'm a little bit introvert. So for me, it's nice that I can communicate mainly by text. It's uh, amazing. And also all the innovation and, and new things. Like I love all of that. I'm very curious about all the new things.
0: Oprah Winfrey said, I quote, Think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is not a stepping stone to greatness. So Mari, what had by far been your biggest achievement in your career?
1: There are so many of them because like I would never believe that there is such thing as failure as such. Like every failure is the best opportunity to learn something. And that is something that I I really tried to teach in my program and to all the founders because that's blocking so many people to fulfill their dreams, right? Because they are so afraid of that failure. But every time you fail, you, you learn something. Like it feels quite bad for a while, but that also means that it creates some kind of memory of something that you will do differently next time. So I think they are the best opportunities to learn. And uh, I have so many of them, like I fail all the time. I made bagels today and I failed a little bit in the process, but now I know how to make it differently next time. It's a small failure, but still a failure where you can learn and get better.
0: What is the biggest factor that has helped you become successful?
1: Any success habits? I think this like attitude towards failure is, I guess, one of them because I've never really felt like, okay, now this was so embarrassing, so horrible a failure that I'm never going to try this again. I have never had that. It's a little bit like from my gunfight childhood because there wasn't really support for me available, like related to me being interested in tech. Like everyone just gave like negative feedback about that all the time. So I didn't get any positive. Positive confirmation from outside. So I kind of like needed to build that validation as a like internal feature for me. And uh, it has been sometimes like very hard for me to understand why people are so afraid of failure that they are completely like uh, blocked by testing out new things. Because like mainly why companies and people in general are stuck is that they are so afraid of failure that they either don't do anything or they do things that are so meaningless. But they don't learn anything
0: so based on that what would you say is your biggest failure slash learning in your career and yeah
1: what did you learn from it There is so many of them that it's very, very hard to choose one. But I would say like one thing that I really wish that I could change still is that basically in places like that one that I'm from, they have or at least used to have this narrative of like don't move to Helsinki because it's so expensive and dangerous and you should stay here. So it took me years to have guts to move to Helsinki and my career didn't really move. Move that much before I did that. It was a game changer and, and also at so many levels because, also, like, compared to a lot of places in Finland, Helsinki is extremely diverse and inclusive in a way, especially the startup bubble. Like, there is still flaws, but basically, if you compare it to all other places, it's like night and day. You can't chase the past. You, you can only take the learning and do it otherwise in the future. How do you
0: measure your own performance at work?
1: Well, that's very simple. As uh, so we see two things that matters is uparounds. So do the companies get more money from somewhere else? Uh, and then uh, do we make the investments? So the amount and quality of investments and the up for these investments. So it's actually a very straightforward job and very straightforward KPIs. Interesting part that there is no playbook how to make those happen. So there is a lot of room of what to do to improve those uh, metrics.
0: So why would you say is inspiring and motivating you the most in your role in career
1: right now? It's the people. One of my habits like training myself in certain like healthy and positive mental models have been a journey because I have had a lot of very negative mental models. If you are told to be like wrong type for your home, childhood, it leaves a lot of like very, very negative mental models. So I had to practice certain things to get rid of them. For instance, the gratitude uh, journaling. And on gratitude journaling, basically the thing that I have identified that what is giving me most gratitude in most of the days is basically spending time in general, but especially working with positive optimistic, ambitious people. And you have a lot of that when you're working at uh, early state VC, you are basically surrounded by that kind of people. So one thing that I have identified very strongly that why I want to stay in this kind of position is that I get that all the time, so much. And new people, old people, and you have a lot of that in this type of job.
0: Let us now jump into the influence of mentor, role models, champions, and sponsors. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, champions can stand up and advocate for us and open up the world of possibilities. Sponsors match emerging talent with leaders and influential employees who can help us move ahead in our careers. So, Murray, do you have a mentor, champion, or a sponsor today?
1: I don't, actually. I do have a lot like a mentor. I've been looking for one actually for quite a long time, but I have no idea where to even look. So if anyone is listening to this and wants to mentor me, like please contact me, would be amazing. But I do have a lot of people uh, around me currently that support and uh, influence me very positive way. For instance, like the nonprofit that I have uh, where I train the growth hackers, there is a lot of extremely like people in the community that have influence me actually more than they probably even know or realize. For instance, uh, we trained an uh, ex-Finnair flight attendant when COVID started uh, because she was laid off. And I have never thought about being privileged in tech because I can choose what I wear when I work. Like I'm, I'm in the hoodie at home, which is extremely privileged. I have never realized that basically it's a privilege in tech. Something that I haven't found gratitude before, but I would feel very grateful about that because she, she helped me to realize it. Like there's a lot of that kind of people that can teach you to feel grateful for very surprising things.
0: Who's the female role model you look up to in your field?
1: Good question. I have been reading Facebook's or ex-Facebook's Cheryl Sandberg's books over and over again. And I had a period that I was very, in a way, high on that book. So I sent that also to all female colleagues that I appreciated. I really like her thoughts, but I wish I would find more that kind of in individuals that would inspire me, like uh, more more the local ones, you know, but I feel that she's one of the like original glass ceiling breakers from Silicon Valley that can be a role model for a lot of women from here and also kind of like advocate of like having, having a family and career at the same time, making that possible.
0: History shows that it has been more common for men having mentors champions, as a sponsor in business than women. So Mari, how important do you think is to have a mentor champion, and a sponsor during one's career?
1: I think it's very, very important. And that is something that I have tried to build with my nonprofit horizon that, that I gather these people in the, in the Slack community, the interns and the alumni, because then they can basically continue supporting each other. It's really like uh, the influence and mentorship is one part, but like having peer support is another, right? That, that there is just other women or immigrant women or other minorities that are in the same path. Or journey or type of roles or tech companies or something that you can just talk to and get the validation that you are not like completely alone in the world with your feelings and experiences. So that's something that has been lacking a little bit from tech plus women communities around here at least. And therefore, I try to work a little bit with that topic, like do my part to form this community for peer support. And why not like mentoring if they feel like forming I mean this type of like professional connections? I hope that's something that happens. Let's move on
0: to leadership. Adina Friedman, president and CEO of Nasdaq, said, I quote, empowering those around you to be heard and valued makes a difference between a leader who simply instructs and one who inspires. Murray, what does leadership mean to you?
1: A good leader is someone who inspires and gets people to their side. If they can do that, then they get people that execute also to their side. This is also something that has been common in our portfolio. Like basically the biggest multipliers in our up rounds have been coming to the companies that have a leader who can inspire. Like their own lives, like mini Steve Jobs in like part of inspiring. And then they can basically attract the talent who execute. If they are able to get people their sites, because then they attract also the resources, such as money in the form of investment, but also the courage of making the hard decisions, because that's another part that is really like what I see in the, in the portfolio and in overall in early stage startups, that especially the people that are first time founders, it can take too long to fire first time that one person that doesn't fit or doesn't perform. And I know because I have been in the position of doing that the first time myself as well. It's one of those things that you would like to kind of like push to future and hope that it somehow fixes itself. This person just figures it out themselves. But sometimes it doesn't just happen and you need to have the guts or like basically the leadership of leading, making the hard decisions also. Because as a startup leader, like if you really want to be a leader, you need to be able to do the hard decisions as well. And there is no touch time and place in your startup journey or company journey, entrepreneurship journey, leadership journey, that you can avoid that completely. So you just need to make the conscious decision that I will at least learn this, even if it's hard. What do you consider a good versus a bad leader? Ability to inspire and get people on board to your side, like believe in you, because then you can attract everything you need, basically the talent, money, clients, everything you can attract with that skill, but then also be able to do the hard decisions fast and make the decisions, even if they feel like very, very bad. Who is your favorite female tech leader and why? I would say Merit from Signal Earth, she has a lot of this like inspiring, leading, get their people to her side ability. She's excellent speaker. They are basically saving the world. They are keeping biodiversity as it is, like instead of like chopping down forests as the forests are more valuable than than cutting and uh, and such, literally saving the forest. And she's excellent example of a person who is able to inspire and get people, join your your very complex and very rough journey to build very new and complex tech. But she has been able to do that. One very local example from Estonia. How would you describe yourself as a leader? There is a reason why I'm not CEO in any company. I have been horrible CEO. Learning the leadership has been extremely hard for me because as mentioned, I get very easily frustrated. So I really like struggle keeping people enough space to learn things. Like, I'm very bad at that. Obviously, that's a skill you can learn. But I have also chosen that at least at this point in my life, it's not something that I'm very into, learn or develop that much. Because at this role, I can basically do the leadership that is more natural for me, which is kind of like more being a coach than versus like supervisor or something like that. So it's easier for me in that role to give the needed space to explore and fail yourself and learn from your failure. So I don't get negative feelings that are very, very easily kind of like built by like things taking too long and people not doing things like I told them to do it. It's not a good form of leadership. What are your three strengths and three weaknesses? Uh, Strengths are, are definitely the ones that I mentioned already of hashtags, curiosity, stubbornness in a positive way, and this constant drive of just not giving up, like basically the attitude like towards the failure, that it doesn't really exist in my life. All of the good like learning experiences. Negative features, definitely like this stubbornness and basically like I want to see things happening fast, like a lot faster usually than most people. And I get very easily frustrated if that doesn't happen. But fortunately, in the current role, I can shift my focus to places where things happen and shift it away for a while where it doesn't happen. So I can optimize my time and effort in a way that I I can deal with that.
0: Let us now jump into the hottest topic in
1: business today, workplace culture, unlocking the
0: power of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mari, what do diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging mean to you personally?
1: Well, I have been a minority in many places, like mainly women in tech. Like represented the minority in somewhere. Like pretty much like all my life, it's very important for me to do the concrete actions myself. Also to improve that for the next generation, so they don't have to walk the rough path like me. For me, it's so natural that more diverse opinions lead to basically uh, a better everything. A product, marketing, communications, everything. If everyone is heard, and from my current role, I feel very privileged that I'm able to do some very concrete actions to improve that in many places and also try to be a role model that if I could do it, you can do it as well.
0: What do you consider being three to five size of good company culture if you were to join a company?
1: People and data first, because like I really believe in a combination of people and data that with data and with tech, we can optimize the work in a way that we make it more efficient and better for everyone and therefore we are able to put the people kind of like first so some kind of like healthy combination of both of these because that existed at early fresca days that we use the technology and data in order to optimize certain processes in home cleaning so we were able to pay higher salary than the union average is for cleaners and therefore like produce the best in the market at least like then cleaner retention and satisfaction rate. Right. So basically, by implementing tech and data in the correct way, you can really optimize things that you build amazing workplace for people. Also, the ability of exploration, curiosity and testing. So basically, this road hacking features that the culture is embracing the testing, not getting stuck with failure and such. So embracing that everyone is able to make decisions and their hope that they will make all Ultimately, the right decision after making a couple of ones that they gain learnings from.
0: As a woman, what has been the most significant barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges?
1: not that much anymore because I'm in this position and obviously older but especially when I was younger I wasn't taken seriously at all. I also had very long pink hair like mild pony hair so I also impacted not taken seriously in a way myself but obviously like from my point of view like you should be able to look whatever you want and taken seriously by your domain expertise but I wasn't taken seriously at all and um, neither of them wasn't that I didn't do any. First of all, I focused on numbers, making the numbers so good. So they were multiple times better than my like male colleagues numbers. So I was the best always and not even best, but better like multiple times. And then another thing was that I accepted that, okay, as me in this body and what I look like, I'm young, short girl, everything. I can't convince some people because of what I look like. So I used 40-plus guys as people who put my message in use. So basically, I hired older guys as sales reps or got those be my co-founders and so on. And I accepted that, okay, it is what it is. I can't get my message through, but if I use this person who looks more as what they expect... They can speak my words and I don't mind because I ultimately get to the end result that I wanted. Even I wasn't taken seriously personally, but I accepted that. And a lot of women don't accept that. I know they get stuck, but I didn't mind. Like, obviously, like, it shouldn't be like that, but you're going to find a way to get through. And sometimes it's true, like, by enabling a person that uh, the others want to see to be your voice.
0: Why do you think it's important for more women to join the tech industry as a leader on
1: the board and also as VCs? Well, you just need to do it because like from our funding applications, like what we get like hundreds all the time, thousands, sometimes only 14% last time we measured it had one female member in their team. So it's very, very low number. And therefore, for a VC perspective, it's actually quite complex to fund female founded tech companies because there isn't that many of them. So uh, first of all, you would make our job quite like a lot of easier if a woman just founded the company but also like how Yara from my program, the Extrainaire Flight, that put it like, there's a lot of flexibility for you in tech as a job, uh, like a flexibility of working whenever, wherever you want, wearing whatever you want and, and so on, finding more balance uh, with your family and career, not having to give up uh, one of them, but also like we need women in tech to make tech more inclusive. So therefore women should join there. And also the jobs are usually, like nicely paid, also, so that would make women more wealthy. Well, the great example is um, the Amazon case. Like, when a woman gets a lot of money, so basically, Jeff Bezos is like an uh, ex wife, she is. Putting it so much in charity that some charity organizations thought that they got scammed because they got so much money from Jeff Bezos, like an ex-wife. And uh, at the same time, Jeff Bezos himself is investing like in the very phallic looking rocket to launch the space. And it's an extreme example, but you, you can see that kind of like the differences, like how men and women, like where they put their money to it, like I uh, do. They put it to community or like uh, to their children and so on, or to very phallic rockets sometimes. So basically make money and you can influence your community and things you care about. There are many public and internal discussions about the barriers
0: women, non-binary and transgenders face from reaching higher position in the tech industry. How do you feel it has affected and is affecting you? And what is your advice on how to best unblock
1: these roadblocks? In my experience, like most of the roadblocks there has uh, came from the fact that I'm a woman. And especially like 15 years ago, that was uh, usually a big issue that I wasn't really taken seriously. Personally, I have solved that by using people that are taken seriously. So for instance, in my case, I had one company with a couple of 40 plus guys as my co-founders because I was 25 years old female who wasn't taken seriously. So they were taken seriously and they Open the doors for me. Nowadays, it's a little bit different, and from my perspective, it's definitely going the right direction. But basically, what I suggest to do is that try to think about like how can you find the resources to basically go around that roadblock. For instance, like in my case, like using the people that like acquiring co-founders or colleagues that represent the basically the type of person that you can use to well get forward. And today, tech
0: companies spend a lot of marketing money to attract women, non-binary, and transgenders. However, at the same time, they're finding it hard to retain them. Article shows that women are leaving the tech industry. What is your best advice on strategies for how companies can work to build a stronger corporate
1: culture that engages gender diversity and equity? It's actually very interesting study because I haven't seen that, but that can be only my Finnish or Nordic Baltic ecosystem. In my case, like what I have been observing quite a lot is that when a person, usually a woman, enters tech, like especially if they are coming from non-tech industries, such as for instance flight attendant. As as a person working in tech, after you have been flight attendant, you can actually value things such as you can choose what you wear at work and it's flexible and you are not like assumed to be in certain place all the time. And so I see mainly that. And from my perspective, like most of the tech companies especially have been the most like inclusive experiences in terms of the flexibility of work and such things. So basically what I'm saying is that women who usually like to combine their work-life balance uh, by combining their family and friends and everything with work and not like let go of something. They really like working in tech because of the flexibility. So I'm not sure where that happens. I haven't been experiencing that that much, fortunately. What would you say
0: are the few challenges of implementing a DEIB culture in a workplace
1: today? Challenges usually are that what I say is a lot in this early stage, like startup bubble is that the founders of the company who are usually male, like they are definitely like up to like implementing very inclusive culture and being sensitive and everything, but they just don't have tools. And usually it's very natural. They don't have like from their own perspective, tools in terms of like, they have never faced a situation where they represent the minority. So they don't just understand what it means. And therefore, it's very hard to be very aware with these kind of things naturally. But people I have been working with, the male tech startup founders, like they are very open to learn and they want to learn because they understand the fact that when you go forward with your tech startup, you need to have certain diversity goals. If you wish to get funding from especially UK and US-based investors, they usually have some kind of like diversity goals in their term sheets. And it's not about that you can fill it up by hiring couple of female like marketing specialists, you would need to have like, a certain diversity in your leadership and so on. So in my opinion, it's basically giving them tools and educating them like how to actually do it, how to write inclusive job ads, for instance. So they actually attract female applicants or minority applicants in general, but they are very open to learn. So basically educating and helping them out.
0: Why and how do you think companies would benefit from having not just women and non-binary and transgender leaders, but actually higher gender representation at sea level
1: and boardrooms with mandate? the most important thing is basically this experience of being a minority that you actually understand different perspectives in a very unique way. Basically that the decisions are represented in a way that, well, usually the company's clients are very diverse, like especially if it's B2C for everyone. So you need to understand all the perspectives of building products so they are not like harmful for women or something like that. Because if you size, for instance, this product only for male physique, it can be potentially dangerous for other people. So, so basically making products that can be available for more people. So that's one huge benefit. And basically from the perspective of fundraising, like you can get blocked by money if you don't take the diversity seriously. And how much do you think the tech industry has changed regarding the IB since you joined? I think it has been changing massively like as mentioned a couple of times already I joined tech already 20, 15 years ago and it was very, very narrow minded like what people in tech look like and who they are but uh, I, I definitely see that as uh, as like uh, one of my benefits because I've been only focusing on on numbers because I have accepted that I'm not taking it seriously because who I am but I can make great numbers which are usually better than uh, what my male colleagues have, then I'm taking seriously. But it has been changing a lot. It would have been so much easier right now to enter that like compared to 15, 20 years ago. Uh, It was really, really painful and there wasn't really any role models. So it was also, why am I hitting my head on the wall like over and over again? Because there isn't even anyone like other, like what's wrong with me? Because I didn't see any any other like woman in the, in the places where I was working at. And then looking back on your career, what would you
0: say is the one thing you would have changed in your working environment to break the bias back then?
1: Good question. I've obviously, like being the same would have been like saying these things out loud, but I'm quite confident that. would have been helping back then because it's just the norm of the whole industry that it was very male. It was very like all the jokes were really something that would be harassment nowadays. I'm quite confident that even I would have been speaking out loud back then, like I would have been just fired because I'm like not fitting in basically. And it's still like nowadays I see sometimes that I really need to adapt in certain situations where I even have a little bit bias of not paying attention to certain things because I'm being fitting in, like forcing myself to fit in so long. I think like it's very good that the whole industry changing, it makes it so much easier for higher diversity to fit in. And looking forward, what will you do as a leader to improve the bias for the
0: next generation of women, non-binary and transgenders in tech?
1: That's why I have such a career choice is that I ended up being investor because I had this discussion internally at Fund uh, where I work at a little bit over a year ago, where I was actually asked that, Mari, have you been thinking about like joining the investment team? And I honestly didn't even think about it. And uh, I enjoyed working with portfolio development. I thought that's something that I just want to focus on. But then I was thinking like, okay, if I make the transition and go from portfolio development to investment team, like obviously I can do the portfolio develop also because we are early stage investors so I can kind of like keep that in my daily schedule but I can really make an impact there like make the choices uh, be the role model of like showing that someone who doesn't have a university degree and uh, is from very like working class family from very small town can end up in this kind of position so you can do it as well so I want to be that role model that I didn't have and I want to having an impact in their decisions of like uh, where the money is going to uh, basically, but also educating the, the companies about these issues because issues, challenges and opportunities, I would say that because especially at early stage you have uh, as an investor, you can have a lot of impact on the culture of the company, like what kind of culture it will be. And, uh, and usually the founders need some kind of support in early hires or late co-founder hires. And then I can help them to find a more diverse candidate. I would say it's very impressive
0: and thank you very much for doing that. And you are already a role model and you would just reach out to even more people. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let us move on to another hot topic in business today, which is work-life balance and mental health. Mari, you have without a doubt a busy lifestyle. How do you take care of yourself to
1: maintain a good mental health? This is something what people assume, like I hear that all the time, you have such a busy lifestyle, but I would like to correct that first because nowadays I'm not busy at all. I don't really work that much, but I choose very carefully what I do. And that has been like very, very late realization for me. Usually how that kind of things turn into your actual routines, you need some kind of traumatizing experience and... And uh, I had such a traumatizing experience last December. My father died. And um because I'm the only child, I needed to arrange all the funeral and everything. So that meant that I was off for five weeks from work. And basically a couple of weeks, I just focused on there, like arranging the funeral and everything. But then I started to get creative. Like I'm too bored. Now I'm creative. I start creating like a lot of things. Like uh, at the same time, they Chat GPT and all the AI things came. So I, I was able to go like super deep into that thing. And I will eventually get to my point, but this is a very important story because I have had multiple burnouts and uh, I have been the person that is working all the time and doesn't sleep and who's like gas schedule is a mess all the time. But having to stop and basically clearing up the calendar like completely for multiple weeks... Finally got me into this stage where I don't really take stuff on my calendar, like not that much. Like I may have something like a couple of days busy, but then I'm usually like four or five days. I don't have anything on my calendar, which means that I'm like constantly a little bit bored. And when I feel bored and I don't do like task after task, I get actually a lot of things done. And the realization there was that when I have that capacity of being a little bit bored, that makes me to choose carefully what I do. And I process things all the time in my head. So basically when I then sit on my computer, then I can just throw everything from my head and it's very processed and I don't have to like spend a lot of time there. And when I observe our portfolio founders, especially, a lot of them don't really do that. Like, they spend 10 hours per day, like doing task after task. And uh, usually, those tasks are completely meaningless. Like, they are answering some emails that don't take the actual what they should do, like what they should focus on forward. Like, they have two things to get forward basically, build the company and get the next funding round. And answering to some, I don't know, someone selling, marketing, like advertising space of newspaper, like answering that kind of email. It doesn't take you anywhere. You just ignore it. And uh, obviously, like, that means that I ignore a lot of stuff. I ignore most of the emails I get. I ignore a lot of LinkedIn messages I get. But eventually, like, they will find me if it's really important thing. But a couple of learnings there, like, make your calendar, like, as flexible as possible. Like, it can be very counterintuitive because a lot of people have this mindset of I'm not important if I'm not busy all the time. But it doesn't work like that you will do better decisions what you will do with your time if you are not busy. So you shouldn't be busy at all. And uh, you should ignore everything that doesn't push your main goals forward. But to be able to do that, you should also choose what are your main goals. But if you really, really make that decision making like in a very, very good way, like you shouldn't have that much goals on your table, which would mean that you don't have to work that much. Thank you very
0: much for sharing about your father. I'm very uh, sorry to hear about that. What is your advice on how companies can create a more mentally healthy workplace in the new now?
1: You could implement there are a lot of like stuff like a psychotherapy and, and such things. But I really believe nowadays that the source of mainly the like mental health and actually all the health issues and burnout issues is that time management prioritization. So basically, if the company is able to build a culture where they help everyone to choose only the one or two like most important things. And usually it's that simple, like it doesn't have to be that complicated. People would uh, work a little bit less, which would mean that they would have more time to take care of themselves, go to like outside to walk, spend time with their family, take care of their kids without stressing it out, uh, having hobbies and such. But it's like our work culture or that model of working is in a way like fundamentally broken. And it's broken like as a concept, but also in people's minds because even I have been coaching people like dropping all the unnecessary things like for instance by having like a sessions where we go through their calendars and delete all the unnecessary things Alright, okay now you have four day work week and now you have only let's say six hours per day at work but it doesn't last like it's two weeks and they will fill it up with some random stuff that doesn't make any sense so it's very hard to do that as a company in my opinion or then I just don't know how to do it but at least as a as investors we try to help the companies to grow the culture by being a good examples like if a founder is sending us messages like middle of night we say it out loud that hey you should be sleeping like don't work or during the weekends like you should have a break like it doesn't work like that you are just like continuously working so if they figure it out they may take the culture to the whole of the company but in my opinion like I'm very strongly believing that it's real just like by management. And what motivates you every day to get out of bed? Good question. I enjoy these things so much that I'm always at least a little bit of curious to see like what's going on right now. I have been gratitude journaling quite a long time and uh, I've been able to narrow down the thing I get most of is basically working with people, especially like getting people to reach their dreams and goals and such to grow as human beings. And all the passions come from somewhat of trauma. So this is also so a trauma. My father, he was very old, so it was it was a little bit also expected that he will pass away at some point. But he's one of these like or was one of these Finnish like war age people and like, he was actually a refugee from Karelia. And uh That kind of generation, they are very, very focused on security and being in a safe job. He didn't really like his job. He wasted like 45, 50 years, something like that in a job that he wasn't really respected. But it was safe. And at the same time, like he was very good with his hands. Like uh, he was building wooden clocks and basically all the furniture. Uh, He also built our wooden like cabin or like summer Cottage and uh, these kind of things like he was very very talented and it was completely wasted and I have very deep in me that I would have loved to be the one who kind of like gets him into position where he can use his talent like instead of being a little bit like sad and depressed old person And I couldn't do that because obviously you can't force people to do anything. They have to find themselves and I kind of understand where that comes from. So it was impossible task for me, but I get that satisfaction in a way every time I push someone forward. And this is something that we have been discussing with my therapist for over 10 years. So I kind of understand this limbo, but these kind of things, they can be your uh, weaknesses or superpowers, right? In my case. I can funnel this thing to basically into pushing people forward to reach their dreams. Beautiful
0: and powerful, Marie. Now, let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners. What is the best piece of advice you've been given that has helped you during setbacks in
1: your role and career? I haven't really got any advices from anyone. That's my disadvantage. Or in a way, like everything can be weakness or superpower. So I try to inspire people and give advices because I never got any. But one advice that I would give to you would be that to get more women in tech, they need to take the first steps themselves. So everyone here listening to this that hasn't taken the first step, like just please take it. It would make my job so much easier. Like we don't really get like applications for funding or pretty much like anything from women. And a lot of women don't really realize how much like there is different positions, so much variety of positions available in tech, like in finance, operations, uh, growth, marketing, customer success. Like it doesn't have to be coding. Build and product also is something that women are usually really good at because you shouldn't go to like too deep in into tech and technical to build something that is usable. So as an advice, if you haven't had any role models, become yourself one. So I'm now the role model of myself and uh, repeating this again, like take the first step, like go into tech and see what's there for you, because it may end up like being more flexible, more giving, more higher paid job that you really even expected. And if you haven't
0: been given any good advice, are there any bad advice you've been given? And if yes, how did you tackle that?
1: Bad advice, uh, number one has been what teachers said to me when I was a kid, that girls don't belong to computers. I still remember that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I can see your face and <laughs> like uh, that's uh, that's my expression also. But yeah, that was basically the cultural like 20 plus years back. So uh it's definitely better now. I hope so, at least that teachers don't give that kind of advice. But that was a lesson for me that authorities are not right all the time.
0: Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had when starting out in the tech industry?
1: mentor or role model, definitely. Like someone who looks at least like a little bit like me and has succeeded at least a little bit. That would have been so, so important for me.
0: And if you had the ability to go back in time to when you were just at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Get out of there
1: from the small town I I work at. Like, uh, move to Helsinki first. Like, just do it. Because I was so afraid of doing that. So afraid. Like, everyone was saying that only the rich people live in Helsinki, don't go there. You can't do it. So I would say, like, don't listen to them. Like, just go ahead and do it. And what advice would you give to young girls, women,
0: non-binary, and transgenders who want and trying to break into STEM fields today, especially wanting to become next generation leaders? Just do it. Can't highlight
1: more like how easy it is today. Like when I started, we didn't even have an internet. I had to go to my mom's workplace with these guests to have like two hours time to do stuff in internet. Like now you have everything yourself, which is amazing because like back then you didn't have the internet available and try it out because them is not brain surgery. No one is going to die if you fail. If you launch a website that no one likes, then try it again. And last but not least,
0: Marie, what is next for you in your role and career in tech? What are your career aspirations?
1: My short-term goal is definitely to get the first up around for uh, some companies that I'm working with. After that, like, obviously that's a stepping stone. When I accomplish that, then I have a lot of options available. Thank you very much, Marie, for being a guest on the Queens of Tech
0: podcast, sharing your journey with, without a doubt, inspired change and reshaped company culture for the next generation of women, non-binary and transgender leaders.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. This was fun.
0: Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry a minimum of three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to i at For more podcast episodes and to learn more about the Queens of Tech initiative and to support us, visit queensof.tech.